G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. You're listening to Real Faith, conversations with real people about how God works in their lives. If you want to know more about integrating faith into your life, our website is realfaith.org.au. Just go to the website and you'll find helpful articles about the impact faith can have on your life. Once again, that's realfaith.org.au. Welcome back. I'm Eric Scadabo, and today we have a special program. We're talking to Dr. John Dixon from the Center for Public Christianity, and he's sharing about the whole story of the Christian faith, all 2,000 years, both good and bad. As we heard before the break, John and his colleagues found that many people in secular society have an overwhelmingly negative view of the Christian faith and are largely unaware of the many positive contributions that people of faith have made over the years. And so they decided to do something about it. The result is a documentary called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. Next, we'll hear about some of the wonderful contributions that Christianity has made to society over the years. Before Christianity and before Christ came onto the earth, humility was not seen as a virtue. Is that right? Yeah. The word humility in Latin, humilitas, in Greek, tapenos, both mean lowly. That's that's what the word actually means. And it was used consistently negatively. Mm-hmm. It means to be trodden down, uh, to be crushed. Uh, the only time it was used in a positive way is if a, uh, a slave would be humble before a master or a citizen would be humble toward the emperor or the gods. But that's that's when there's such a severe power imbalance, it makes sense to be humble before them because you cower before the emperor. That's what the word meant. But Christians completely turned that notion of humility upside down. And this is a fairly widely accepted historical argument that it was really the event of Jesus that gave us this new vision of the word humility, not just because Jesus taught Christians to lay down their lives for others, not just that he taught that to be great, you must be a servant. It's really his death on a cross that changed everything because crucifixion was the most shameful part of the Roman world. If you died on a cross, you were, you were absolutely excluded. You were shameful. So Christians were confronted with the fact that the greatest man they'd ever known, the one they thought was the Lord, willingly gave himself on a cross. And that either means Jesus wasn't as great as they thought he was, or it means greatness has to be redefined as including the willingness to lower yourself for others. And of course, that's when they could use the word humility, not in the negative sense of being pushed down low, but of the noble choice to lower yourself for the good of others, just like Christ did. And we can date it pretty precisely. Really, the, the turning point in this ethical tradition is uh, Philippians 2, written in the middle of the first century, mm-hmm. where Paul himself urges humility for Christians in obedience to Christ, who himself humbled himself all the way to death on a cross for us, for our good. No longer does humility mean to be crushed. It doesn't mean to have a low view of yourself, because, of course, Jesus didn't have a low view of himself. Yeah, yeah. It means to willingly lower yourself. Now, by the end of the first century, this word, Tapenos in Greek, humilitas in Latin, is being used by Christians, only Christians, uh, very regularly 
for one of the central ethical postures of, of life. Um, within five or six centuries, everyone in the Roman Empire is now using the word humility oh, in wow. a positive sense. Uh, even emperors are feeling the need to display humility. Uh, such was the influence of the Jesus story on Western culture. And now even the, you know, the average humanist atheist thinks humility in the great is a gorgeous thing. We love yeah. it. We're drawn to it. But that was unknown in Greece and Rome. It really is one of the unusual gifts of Christianity to the West. And this is one of the challenges of people who are saying that Christianity has had a negative influence on history. They forget these things and how things were different before Christ came on the scene. Yeah, because we only know the environment in which we live and mm, yeah. move. And therefore, uh, we think these are norms. We just project back from our experience and, and our norms and say, oh, everyone left to their own devices would have come up with the same notions. And well, that's just factually untrue. Uh, mm. The other is charity for all. Uh, Greeks and Romans did not believe in throwing your energies and resources into caring for the poorest of the poor. It was actually seen as unethical for the simple reason that nature had intended the weak to be discarded and the great to float to the surface. And to try and upend that by lifting up the weak and the discarded and honouring them in some way and caring for their needs was seen as a perversion of nature. That was the Greek and Roman view. Christians came along and said, actually, no. Uh, they, now, to be honest, they got this from Judaism, from their own Old Testament tradition, which was very big on caring for the utter outcast. But the, the difference with the Christians is they said that this charity, this welfare was available for all, Jew and mm -hmm. Gentile, believer and unbeliever. And we have astonishing evidence from the pagan emperor Julian in the fourth century who hated the Christians and thought the Christians were going to take over the Roman world by the stealth of their charity toward the poor. He panicked that this was actually going to upend the Roman Empire. And he was right. It did. And now the average secular humanist agrees that charity for the lowest of the low is a beautiful thing, that we are, in a sense, obliged to use our material resources to care for the, for the poorest of the poor. Even if they have no contribution to us, even if they're on the other side of the planet, we feel that's a norm. Well, this is another way in which the story and teachings of Christ have influenced Western culture in a way that we hardly recognize anymore, simply because we don't know the historical story. And this is part of our Christian heritage. And if you look at hospitals and charities and orphanages, a lot of that, of course, is part of the Christian heritage. 21 of the 25 largest charities in Australia are Christian charities. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's not accidental. And it's partly why the government is, uh, you know, sometimes people complain that the government gives churches tax relief. That is, churches are not taxed on the income they receive from mm -hmm. parishioners, members giving their donations to church, right? And there's, yep. a, there's a push at the moment to convince the government to actually tax churches on the, you know, let's just say a little church in the suburbs uh, that maybe earns 100000 a year uh, because, the, you know, the, the 50 parishioners give money each week. People want to tax that. But one of the reasons I doubt the government will go near that argument is they know without the churches, the charitable tradition in Australia would have to fall on government. And therefore, we would have to tax people's incomes more. And so they rely on the Christian contribution to charitable works to get a lot of stuff done. Now, I, I'm not saying I would complain, you know, I'd be grumpy and outraged if the government decided to change that. But I'm pretty convinced the government knows that without the church, welfare in this country would collapse. Okay, for the interest of time, 
Well, trying to cover 2,000 years in 25 minutes or so is kind of hard, but uh, let's skip to the whole anti-slavery movement and how Christianity helped in that regard. Yeah, well, um, one of the things people don't realize is that almost from the beginning, Christians uh, were trying to upend slavery. Um, In the beginning, they had no power to change Roman law. They couldn't change slavery because they themselves were, you know, largely a slave class or at least, you know, without enough power to change the the slave regime. But what they did is they they taught wealthy members of the church to uh, listen out for slaves in the local suburbs that were being mistreated by their neighbours and purchase those slaves and bring them into their own homes and treat them as family. So that was one way the earliest church started to change slavery. By the 5th century, they were getting bold enough to actually free slaves from slave ships. We have really good evidence that uh, in the 5th century they were... Uh, freeing slaves from the slave ships that came into ports and feeding them, clothing them and sending them on their way. But it's sad that it took many, many years for the church to actually, you know, get into a position where it tried to outlaw slavery. And for that, we've really got to wait for William Wilberforce Mm -hmm. uh, in the 18th and uh, early 19th century, who, motivated entirely by his Christian faith, got rid of slavery in the British realm. And even in America, where slavery continued on for uh, quite a while after William Wilberforce, the arguments for slavery were partly biblical. People were quoting passages to try and justify it, but they were mainly economic. The only arguments against slavery, even in the American tradition, were biblical arguments. Those who opposed slavery really drove home the point about all human beings, even um, uh, those who were slaves, were made in the image of God, and we have to treat them as such. So in the end... Slavery has been universal throughout human cultures and throughout mm-hmm. history. What got rid of it was Christianity. Wow. Could you tell us about what happened here in Australia? Well, missionaries came to Australia when it was founded in the late 18th century. And they pretty quickly tried to build friendships with indigenous people. And of course, they tried to bring them the gospel. Some of the missionaries were really imperialistic and some of them brutal. Some of them thought that Aborigines were not full human beings, because that was actually the normal secular view of the time, that Aborigines were not fully human. They had an evolutionary view that said they're throwbacks. Mm -hmm. But um, despite the terrible things Christian missionaries did do in Indigenous cultures, I think it's a fair historical statement to say that Christian missionaries were probably the only consistent friends the Indigenous people had. And there are marvellous accounts of missionaries. Um, Daniel Matthews stands out who gave their lives and their property and their resources to serve the indigenous communities. And they ended up calling him Maranuka, which is a special word for friend. Uh, He wrote to all the papers in the country begging for indigenous rights, and he did it entirely because of his Christian faith. Near the end of his mission work, a journalist from Melbourne went up and viewed and inspected his mission and ended up writing an amazing review that ended with the words, one gets the impression that a life has been given away in service of the indigenous people. Daniel Matthews gave his life away for them, and it was all because he believed that Christ had given his life on behalf of others. Hmm. Well, just to wrap up our conversation for today, if somebody's listening and were under the impression, based on what they were hearing in the media, that Christianity had a negative influence on societies throughout history, 
I think it would be safe to say, well, first off, listen to this conversation that we just had, but also you can check out the documentary, uh, which the Center for Public Christianity has made called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. What advice would you have for somebody who thought like that, that Christianity was a bad influence? Well, of course, yeah, go to um, publicchristianity.org or betterandworse.film, and you can look at a lot of material free online. So that's one thing you can do. But I think in the end, the best thing to do is maybe read a gospel. Take up the Gospel of Luke, dust off mm-hmm. that Bible in, on the shelf, or go to Dimmick's and buy a Bible, and start reading one of the gospels where you come face-to-face with the beautiful tune itself, Jesus Christ and his teaching, but ultimately his death and resurrection on behalf of others. That's the beautiful tune, and uh, that's what we need to be looking for in the world. Thank you so much for sharing some of the positive story over the history of Christianity. Thanks, Eric. Our guest today has been Dr. John Dixon from the Center for Public Christianity. And they are the makers of the documentary we've been talking about called For the Love of God, How the Church is Better and Worse Than You Ever Imagined. To find out more about this documentary, the website is publicchristianity.org. That's publicchristianity.org. Also, we invite you to join us again next time for more of our conversation with Dr. John Dixon, and we'll find out more about the positive contributions that people of faith have made over the years. That's next time right here on Real Faith. You've been listening to Real Faith, and if you have any questions or comments, you can send us a message through our website, realfaith.org.au. That's realfaith.org.au.